Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. The opening line of Isaiah today. Comfort, comfort my people. This is God's word to Isaiah, and I wonder how many of us here today need God's comfort. Why did Israel need God's comfort? You might remember from last week that Israel was drowning in their ruins. The city had been razed to the ground by the Babylonians. Corruption overwhelmed them. Families were torn apart. Their economy and communal life, all their social stability had been disintegrated. Large numbers of the people had been carted off to Babylon. They were slaves in a foreign country. They were a long way from home and worse, it seemed like they were a long way from God. Israel was experiencing their own prequel version to what centuries later, Second Peter would describe for us. That word of all of the elements melting in fire, this apocalyptic imagery, isn't it really strange to read that and read Isaiah saying, comfort, comfort? Peter is describing for us the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment. Peter gives us more of these words of Advent cheer. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that's done on it will be disclosed. If you grew up like me with the King James Version, you heard some different language there. The King James is based on some, some Greek manuscripts some evidence that we've now discovered was probably misguided in, in some of the, the phraseology. This is the way the King James read. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. It suggests that the world will simply go down in one big fireball. And the way that's often been read, at least um, where I grew up, was that it's actually a distraction to think much about this world and how to care for it and how to care for the world that we're living in. I just heard a story this week of a guy when he was uh, in his 20s, he was working, he said, for one month with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. And he was down in Lynchburg and it was his job to go door to door talking to them about cons conservation efforts. And he said, house after house, he would start the conversation and the person would say, it's all just going to burn up, so what does it matter? Our theology, the way we read our Bible, actually matters. The language here is, first of all, that the heavens will pass away. It's not that the world ceases to exist. It's not that the world is going to evaporate. It's that it's yielding to something better. It's like me as a dad. Me being a dad to two toddlers who waddle around you know, doing toddler things, that time as a dad has passed away. I'm now a dad to two young men. 
One thing has passed away and something else has risen. And then there's this language of something being dissolved or destroyed, the earth being dissolved or destroyed. It's actually the idea of something being set loose or released or freed. What Peter's telling us is that a great day is coming, and it's, it's a little terrifying, there's no doubt about it, but the great day is coming when the earth and everything that's in it will be disclosed or laid bare. The old things will pass away, the new things will come. What has held the earth back, what has held humanity back by our rebellion, rejection of God, those things actually will pass away. Those things will be dissolved. God's new day will come. And in that day, everything will be disclosed or laid bare. So the day of the Lord is not the occasion for an enraged God to finally take that pound of flesh and sizzle us all with bolts of lightning. But God's judgment is God's clearinghouse. It's God clearing the haze and laying bare the truth of the world. It's where the lies are swept away, where the delusions are revealed as folly. It's the clarifying moment where the truth is finally known, where all that's been hidden is now out in the open, where the truth of things finally sits out in plain day. Now, I don't want to act like this is sort of a nursery rhyme. I mean, there's something a little terrifying about this. When the truth is fully laid bare, there's, there's something that uh, wakes us up. But it's what has to happen if we're ever going to be rescued. If you let me paraphrase 2 Peter a little bit, actually a lot. The day of the Lord will surprise us with its swift, shocking force. The heavens will finally and fully surrender to God's thundering voice that calls the new creation, just like the first creation, into magnificent life. The rivers and mountains and neighborhoods and governments and economics and hospitals and rural villages and urban centers will finally be released from the power of death by the same thundering voice. And then in that moment, we will see the world and our lives for what they truly are. We will see our foolishness as foolishness, our lies as lies. In a severe mercy, we will be called out of our shadows and delusions. We won't be able to hide or pretend anymore. But thank goodness, we will also see God's new day as pure hope, stunning mercy. We'll finally understand how much we needed God to act for us. We'll finally understand what it means to be at home with God. We'll tremble, but then we'll laugh. We've finally seen the truth. We've finally been set free. 
So this day of the Lord is actually what we are watching for in Advent. Israel watched for God to Advent. It's what Isaiah was speaking. It was the words of comfort. Israel was waiting for God to come and rescue them. With that ultimate rescue coming in Jesus. And now all of us again are waiting for Jesus' second Advent. For Jesus to come and rescue us again. Only in God could the ways that we're having to wait. Only in God could being laid bare be good news. Jesus came the first time, and this is actually his promise and assurance that this same Jesus will advent again. These are sobering words. They're the kind of words that straighten your spine a little bit. The idea of everything being laid bare does wake us up. I remember when I was in 10th grade and my dad picked me up from school for lunch and I had no idea why. It didn't actually feel like a good thing. And we went to the corner store where we got a sandwich and a frozen yogurt and we sat down, my dad was a pastor, and my dad said, when? One of the deacons told me what you've been doing. Now, I don't know if you know what it feels like to be a Baptist son's pastor and hear that a deacon has told your dad what you've been doing. I've never liked deacons ever since, um, <laughs> honestly. You're thinking, what did you do, when? Wouldn't you like to know? The truth was coming out, or at least the deacon's version of it. <laughs> and it was a wake-up call. But these words from God will never be heard right if we don't know the God who is speaking them. This is the God who in Second Peter this morning twice called us beloved. This is the God who tells Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them. And what are the words of comfort that God wants Isaiah to give? What are these tender words? Isaiah asks God, what should I cry out? <laughs> what tender words do you want me to speak? And God gives Isaiah these comforting, tender words. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. If you're a people whose life has been ripped apart, if everything you have known, your family, your history, your place, your home, has been taken away from you and everything is absolutely in shambles and you are in a foreign land and there is no one there in power who cares one whit for you. And you hear a word that God is gonna make a path straight and it is God's path and it's right through the wilderness. That is hope for you. If you're in Babylon and you wanna get home to Jerusalem that journey 
purposefully avoided the wilderness and took a long circuitous route around the Fertile Crescent so as not to have to go through the wilderness, but it took a really long time to get home. But when God shows up, God strikes out directly through the middle of the wilderness, and it is a straight path because God's power and strength and love is powerful enough to carry us through the very wilderness. What I found more often than not in a life of following Jesus is that that path almost always actually goes through the wilderness. It's the same words that the Psalms give us when, G when God carries us through the valley of the shadow of death. And we spend vast amounts of energy trying to avoid the wilderness. That's probably a good strategy. I don't know that we should try to go through the wilderness. <laughs> but when our life is predicated on the fact of avoiding the wilderness, it's not the life that God actually invites us into. And I know some of us here are knee-deep in the wilderness. You need to hear God's word that in Jesus, God makes a path straight. It's not easy. It's rarely quick. But God carries us in a straight path through the wilderness. I wonder what your wilderness might be today. Where do you feel lost or despairing? Where do you most need this path-making God to advent? Where is the place that you are convinced God has forgotten? Forgotten you? Forgotten someone you love? Forgotten the place you love? God comes precisely there. God came to the middle of an empire that would kill him. God comes into the valley of shadow of death. God advents in the wilderness. But whether we see God as a rescuer or see God as danger, depends on whether or not we've encountered the God who is revealed to us in Jesus. It is often this very God who reveals himself to us in Jesus that we most resist. Because in a way, this God actually is dangerous. It's dangerous to go through the wilderness. It's dangerous to lay down your life. It's dangerous to surrender yourself to one in whom you have to trust. Sean Dietrich, I don't know if any of you have read any of Sean Dietrich. He is um, uh, a writer from Alabama. He currently lives in Florida. But he is a, a true uh, man of the South. <laughs> and he's a poet and he's a musician. And he travels all over uh, doing readings, but almost every day will write a small story of someone that he's met. And this is one that came this weekend from Loxley, Alabama. It's dark. I've been driving all night, listening to Nat King Cole sing about chestnuts. 
he used to be a paper man. He used to work for a, a newspaper. I pull over to use the little columnist room. It's cold. It snowed in Mobile last night. I couldn't hardly believe it. I'm jogging inside the gas station, and I see her. She's sitting on the curb outside the truck stop. She's 14, 15 maybe, woven hair, no coat. I ask if everything is okay. Her eyes get big. I know fear when I see it. I'm good, she says, not buying it. I hurry inside to tinkle, tinkle, little star. Then I buy a hot cocoa and a coffee to the tune of four bucks. On my way out the door, she's still there. You want this hot cocoa? I ask. No answer. She's terrified of me. I can tell. And I don't blame her. This world is full of dangerous people carrying cocoa. She takes the cup, but she's not drinking it. She tells me what happened. She shopped all day in Pensacola with friends. Her 17-year-old pal left her here. She was only supposed to be here five minutes waiting for her mother to arrive. It's been two hours. Her phone battery is dead. I offer her mine. Won't do no good, she explains. Don't know any phone numbers by memory. I ask if she needs a ride. Bad move. More terror in her eyes. So I sit on the curb several feet away. She's not touching her hot chocolate. I keep talking. Talking is a trait inherited from my mother. She can talk the paint off of a fire hydrant. <laughs> Did you see the snow last night? I begin. Yeah, she said. It was really cool. My mother has always been the only soul who can make me feel less afraid by talking. Once as a boy in a North Carolina emergency room with a five-inch gash in my leg, I was so scared I almost vomited. My face went white when the doc started sewing my leg. The first thing my mother said was, did I ever tell you about the time? And for the next 20 minutes, she stroked my hair, telling stories while that doc turned me into a human dartboard. Funny, at this age, I don't remember the pain, just her stories. So I tell the girl every story I know. Her cocoa is untouched. I almost give up, but I don't. And after 10 minutes, I win her over. I tell the I wet my, I wet my pants in the third grade story. She giggles. And the one about my coonhound stealing a pork loin off my neighbor's grill. She snorts and takes a sip of chocolate. Small victories. By the time I'm on my final story, a minivan rolls into the parking lot. A woman jumps out and hugs the girl. She's crying. She's a frantic mess. I broke down, the woman says. I couldn't reach you. Kept going to voicemail. Jesus, thank you, Jesus. She kisses the girl a hundred times, and that's that. Bye, said the young girl in a soft voice. She crawls into the van, and they drive away before I can say anything. I sit on the curb for a few minutes, listening to the interstate. I stand. She left her paper cup on the pavement. I pick it up to throw it away. Her cup is empty. Empty. Lord God above. Thank you for my mama. You know, I, uh, when I was reading that, I can imagine that fear. Even though there was someone there who I know to be a good man who wanted to help. I think some of us reject the rescue that God's offering because of the fear. Is this God trustworthy? Is this God good? Is this God actually here to help? Is this God actually going to make a straight way through the wilderness? 
Or is this God only going to harm? Is this God only going to disappoint and forget? Apparently, few of us will allow ourselves to be rescued until we have absolutely, completely played out every other option. That's why sometimes the good news feels like bad news. Because in order to get there, in order to receive it, a lot of times we've got to give up. Few of us will allow ourselves to be rescued until we're on our last breath, spent our last dollar, tried our last trick, worked our last angle. Lots of us won't allow God to rescue us until we've been laid bare and the truth's out and there's nothing we can do about it then. The wilderness is a strange grace and God's highway cuts straight through the wilderness, a straight road. It's a road home. The end of Isaiah, the part we read this morning, there's this beautiful thing. It's this sort of concluding word of what this word of comfort is. Isaiah, tell Israel this because they really need it. They're lost in Babylon. They think I've forgotten. They've abandoned me, and that's cost them dearly. And it had to cost them dearly, or they'd never, ever come home. But that's not the deepest word I want to tell them, Isaiah. I want to speak a word of comfort. Tell them that your God, their God, will feed his flock like a shepherd. Tell Israel that their God will gather the lambs in his arms. Tell them that this God will carry them in his bosom. Tell them that their God will gently lead the mother sheep and all the little sheep will follow behind and will go right through that wilderness and we will go home and you will not be lost. I know it hurts right now, and I know you've invited trouble, and trouble has come, but I'm going to lead you home. Would you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.